Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Hey, everybody. Here we are in celebration of the Academy Awards coming up this weekend. It's the pre-Oscar week. Uh, no, that would pre-Oscar week would mean last week. This is before the Oscars. Well, you know, it's a podcast. You download it at will. You may be listening to this after the Oscar ceremony. So our predictions will mean nothing to you unless you want to see if we were right or not. Anyway, Sam Rubin, Sam Rubin, the intrepid entertainment reporter who for years has been dragging his ass out of bed early every morning to be a part of the KTLA uh, Channel 5 morning news and doing an exceptional job. Look, entertainment reporting, not necessarily considered to be the most respected aspect of journalism. But you know what? Sam has managed to uh, stay in it for a long time. So he's got longevity. He's got respect. He's got integrity. And he's such a good guy. And this man has literally talked to every possible famous celebrity actor personality you can imagine in our lifetime. You throw, we kind of get into that a little bit. You throw a name out, he's going to have a story. And yet he's really humble about his beginnings and his upbringing and how he got to where he got and very respectful of of how uh, good fortune has smiled on him. He's such a good guy and he tells great stories. And we're both movie nerds and he obviously has a passion for movies and good TV. So we get in that a little bit. And yeah, we, we talk about the Oscars. Uh, Sam will actually be, as he usually is, on the red carpet coming up this Sunday. If you're listening to this before, the, the by the way, this is the 2015 Oscars, the Boyhood, the Birdman, the, the, the you know, those guys. Sam will be on the red carpet with pre-show coverage starting at 2 o'clock Pacific time this Sunday, February 22nd. And nationally, the entire show on WGN America, the cable superstation. Starting at 5 Eastern. So check him out. Good stuff. Fun stuff. And happy Oscars, everybody. It's Sam Rubin now. On if you like to hear ten, yourself, ten nine eight seven six five right four, up on three, that two, mic. One. That's perfect. One two three four five, and I'm only uh, looking at this periodically because of other stuff that is happening later in the day. And what is your uh, busy, busy schedule like today? What do we? I mean, have I, a, I could do we, a, a, do we have a hard out, as they say in the like, business, like one ish? But I'm, oh, I'm sure you'll be bored gonna, with me. No, way I'm not going to keep you. In fact, uh, maybe five ten minutes, and you're out of here. Right. Um, I'm kidding. Okay. All right. As Sam Rubin checks his email, we will welcome him. Congratulations on a successful uh, Critics' Choice Awards. Oh, Larry, thanks very much. No, we th- that's fun, and you know it's interesting to me, and you've observed this yourself. Just over time, how things build. That show started. This was our twentieth anniversary. Oh, I it, had no idea. The whole thing was made up twenty years ago <laughs> by a guy named Rod Lurie, who was this uh, very acerbic. Uh, critic for la magazine and went on to direct some movies some really good movies yeah. but as a critic his famous line is he wrote a review once about danny devito where he said he looked like a testicle with eyes <laughs> in any event rod was like well gee we're, we're all these critics we you know we are surrounded by the movies we interview all the people we should have our own award show and so for the first three or four years we kind of did this as a luncheon and then as rod's own career and he went from critiquing films to making films he handed it off to another guy uh, who had some radio experience as well, a guy named Joey Berlin. And uh, to Joey's credit, the whole thing has just grown and grown and grown. And, and now it's this really big deal. And yeah. So we had all the stars there. It was, it was re- you know, really terrific. Yeah, you had some really big names. I mean, you have seen over the years where it was, you know, a couple of big names having trouble getting people there, and more and more people are showing up. Well, I, I think one thing that, that we all discover is that there is this, uh, not voodoo necessarily, hocus-pocus in show business, and happily, the Critics' Choice Movie Awards is the best precursor of the Oscar. So people think 
hey, if I want to win the Oscar, I have to win this. Yeah, they're and starting it, to see a direct yeah. connection there. Because it used to be Golden Globes, they would say, but then you would just see these random weird wins. Isadora uh, <laughs> wins like that. Uh, oh God, you go, boy, you're dipping back there, but that's true. Right. What the hell was that movie? Um, oh, my gosh. I don't, I, all, I, all I remember the story, I don't remember the movie. I, I think it was called Butterfly, actually. Oh, that's right. And the, uh, they took the entire voting body of the Golden Globes to Paris <laughs> on this week-long trip. Right, to see just, just to, for that premiere, for right? Premiere, and that was enough to, <laughs> to ensure the win. So, so from what you've seen at the Critics' Choice Awards this past, I guess, week, who knows when we post this thing, mm-hmm. um, and I'll, but I'll definitely put this up pre-Oscars. Sure. So from what you've seen, who do you think will win the big award Oscar night? Conveniently, I brought an Oscar <laughs> ballot with me. Isn't that good? Are you going to fill it out right now? Uh, I can fill it out right in front of you. I mean, here are the things. There are you know, four acting categories, right. and most people say three are locks. So for supporting actor, you've got Robert Duvall, Ethan Hawke, Edward Norton, Mark Ruffalo. J.K. Simmons is the character actor who's so great and tyrannical and whiplash. He's and, won everything else. Yeah, and he's going to win that. He's going to win That's that. That's the lock, That's right? That's the lock there. That makes perfect sense. All right, so best supporting actress. Right. You've got Patricia Arquette for Boyhood, Laura Dern for Wild, Kira Knightley for The Imitation Game, Emma Stone uh, for Birdman, Meryl Streep for Into the Woods. Patricia Arquette has won every single precursor there. Yeah. And I wonder if that is less for her, although at Critics' Choice and at the SAG Awards, she was so eloquent. You know, these things become sporting events, and she has made you root for her. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a comeback of sorts because she really disappeared off the radar and i guess until boardwalk empire a couple of seasons ago well and then she she's she's had some success in tv right and it's you know what, what's funny is when you do these procedurals she did that show medium oh right you, god you, i totally forgot about you, that but you sort of disappear yeah because you're working but you're not working in something yeah, you're not doing big high profile movies. movies right so anyway but you know she talked about how her uh, grand she's a fourth generation actor Right, and I think that was very appealing to people. All right, so that looks like that. I would have said that category was was a horse race. Pardon the not connecting it to the ladies. Right. Please, please know that. Um, but it looks like just from a consistency sake, it's going to be her. It's going to be her, All and right. then maybe Laura Dern has a lot of friends, and Laura Dern was very good and wild. And didn't Emma Stone win a Globe in the other category because they have it divided between? I I, I can't I don't remember recall now. that she won, but I I mean people have, you know like Bird, people, Birdman is very polarizing. People like it yeah, or don't like. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and she was good. And then for actress, and this seems to be a lock too, Marianne Cotillard, uh, Felicity Jones, Julianne Moore, Rosalind Pike, Reese Witherspoon. Julianne Moore has won every yeah. single award. Yeah. That movie's terrific. I haven't seen it's, Still Alice yeah. yet. My wife actually was describing a book she had read by this author that mm. she's loving. And I said, oh, wait, is that Still Alice? And she said, yes. And I said, that's a movie. And she squealed at me. She hadn't heard of the well, movie. Well, this Nobody's is, heard of the movie. This but, is the interesting thing that Julianne yeah. Moore talks about. And this rarely happens. They filmed this movie in March. And to have the movie filmed and done and yeah. out in less than a year never happens. To have all this award attention never But who's happens. seen it? I mean, I, I mean... Well, I mean the, the, the one thing that people may not be aware of, and it, it's always good to note, the people who vote for these awards, because you remember the Academy, you're a member of a critical group, you basically are sent every movie on DVD. Right. And so one thing that I think impacts how these things turn out sometimes is how do these movies play on DVD? Right. So a perfect example... Interstellar really wasn't that good anyway, but Interstellar <laughs> doesn't really play on DVD. You need yeah, to see it no in the way. theater. Right, right. Uh, Still Alice, which is this small, intimate movie, plays incredibly well on DVD. But it must have gotten, because I, I'm in SAG, I never got a Still Alice really? screener. Okay. Never saw oh, that come through. I'm surprised. So it must have gone straight to certain people, so certain groups, yeah. and Academy voters. And then I think she's also well-liked, and I think it, you know it's sort of a career achievement award. She's been nominated for an Oscar several times, right. number one. But from everything I've heard, she's amazing yeah. in that. No, and amazing, and I, I just like her very much. Then right. here, so here's the real horse race, Actor. where you cannot call. Yeah. Actor. Steve Carell for Foxcatcher, right, right, Bradley right. Cooper, American Sniper. Benedict Cumberbatch, The Imitation Game, Michael Keaton, Birdman, Eddie Redmayne, The Theory of Everything. So it's down to those last two, I'm thinking, right? Exactly right. Although although I tell you what, Hmm. and the Academy really likes to support movies that people have seen. (laughs) And American Sniper, 
a lot, you know, which has sort of broken these box office records. Nobody expected this. It came out incredibly late in 2014. Right. But for the first two weeks of 2015, has been the number one movie by far, like a, a hit. Yeah, but it's gotten this weird backlash at the same time. I, um, I think that backlash is more noise than anything else. I don't disagree with you. Yeah. But I think it's kind of noisy. Well, it, it's been media backlash, right. whether that's viewer or voter get, backlash. Right. But, that, but, but any kind of media attention that's negative tends to reflect in the voting where people kind of shy away from it. Get a little afraid of it. But but I tell you what, I think if there is a surprise at the Oscars, it will be this surge for American Sniper. That Mm -hmm. may not happen, but in any event, so you're right, it's between Michael Keaton and Eddie Redmayne. Michael Keaton has been enjoying all these awards, all these precursors. Eddie Redmayne, the big winner at SAG, which was a big surprise. We had Eddie Redmayne on our program, uh, The Morning News in Los Angeles, yesterday, and we played back to him, and this was always fun, the tape of when he won. And you can see, uh, you know, the great visual medium radio. And the winner is Eddie Redmayne, and he grabs his face. He li- I'm squeezing my cheeks now. He can't believe it. And so when we showed him that tape, he was like, I'm, I'm so glad to see this. I haven't seen it. Oh, wow. And I really didn't believe it. Yeah. So, no, you could tell. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think between those two, you know, it's like, uh, and uh, and I hadn't thought about the Bradley Cooper side of things. I hadn't really heard that. But Michael Keaton would definitely be the sentimental comeback. Career yeah, achievement thing. Yeah, exactly. And and he was, by, by no means was he not worthy of right. it. He's amazing in that. I tend to lean toward Eddie Redmayne just because I think that is such a transformative performance and not affected in the way that some performances like that can be. Well, the, 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 I think this, he embodied right. freaking Hawking in that this, thing. This danger of going into caricature. Right, and right. he was very worried about that. And then one other thing that's funny here, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, quiz you. You know, this is the Michael Keaton's big comeback movie. Was Michael Keaton in any other movies in 2014? Um, was he? Yeah. See, what was interesting, he was in a movie, remember that big Aaron Paul movie that kind of went nowhere, Need, oh, for, Need for Need Speed? Need for Speed, right. He had a huge part in Need for Speed. Oh, was he like a bad guy or he something? Was, no, he kind of was like a, like a DJ, sort of. he was like a narrator. Oh, okay. In any event. Yeah, it's not what, like he's disappeared. Right, but what's funny is that, and, and actors do this all the time, it's like that movie never existed. It kind of came out, not a lot of people saw it. Right. So he hasn't done anything major in years. Right, right. Even though he has, so I well, think that's funny. he's also had a comeback movie. It was that one where he played the alcoholic, and, and uh, it was like the serious dramatic role after those, those strings of terrible Terrible comedies, comedies right. He's done other um, things. So he's already actually had his comeback movie, yeah. um, and this is like his, I, I compare it to like, the Tarantino moment where somebody, you know, drops somebody in a high profile role that right. you haven't really paid attention to in a long time. I mean, the difference is I don't think anybody's ever seen him like this. Yes. And he's I think anybody who's ever watched him work knows he is a really good actor. Right. This is not a huge surprise, but it's such challenging, different material. And there are a couple of things we talked about this in our group podcast a couple of weeks ago, because I've seen Birdman twice now. Um, which is definitely worth doing because there is so much to catch and so much to pay attention to. But he's good at play. This is a subtle thing. He's great at playing. His character is not a great actor on stage. You know, he's put up this big play, this this adaptation of the Raymond Carver story. And during the rehearsals and stuff, he's not that great. He's not really that great. He's okay, but he's not a great stage actor. But Keaton himself is kind of showing those shadings. And to me, that's also one of the reasons I think people are picking up on, on his performance. There's a lot of complexity going on. Yeah, there. You're absolutely right. I, I, you're exactly right. And I tell you what, this notion of seeing them a couple of times, you have the benefit of the SAG membership, and we get them on DVDs. Mm-hmm. I watched Boyhood the other night for the second time, yeah. and it really benefited from seeing it for a second Now, see, time. all you had to do was say that title. That uh, I... I... <sighs> I am so emotionally attached to that movie, and and what's interesting is I'm finding so many other people. I think that should win. Do you have a prediction? Well, it, I, it, it's the best idea mm-hmm. for sure. It's the best idea. I think a lot of people say, "Let's see, here's the eight best pictures: American Sniper, Birdman, right. Right. Boyhood, right. Grand Budapest Hotel, mm-hmm. Imitation Game, Selma, Theory of Everything, and Whiplash." You have to think it is just between Boyhood and Birdman. Pretty much. Unless there is this surge of support for American American Sniper. Sniper. So it's those three. Um, I can't quite put my finger on what it was. And I've listened to a lot of people say the same thing. I'm glad I'm not alone, and I'm glad to see it got the kind of acclaim it did. Because I was a boy 
And right. I did grow up in Texas. Okay. So I thought I had kind of this real personal connection to it. But of course, so many people have responded to it. And I've heard other people say the same thing. They don't know exactly why they have such an emotional response when they walk out of that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, something about feeling like you've lived with these people through those 12 years that you're seeing. And it's not like this heavily dramatic. There aren't like major events. Well, that, that that's the idea. I think they were very, and I've talked to the director several times. They, they deliberately weren't making this effort. You know, you don't see the big first kiss or things right. like that because it's more everyday life. It's funny that you say that weirdly enough of, of all the award season movies, I uh, have a group of friends. I grew up we're in the valley here in L.A. now, but I grew up over the hill in, in West L.A. And uh, me and a bunch of my from elementary school forward friends take a vacation every one of these mancations. A couple of my friends are very experienced outdoors people, and I'm not. And so these scenes in Wild, where she's in some crappy motel, right. putting on this backpack and like falling over. That's happened to me because we've <laughs> I, I've taken these trips with my friends and we've done parts of that trail. Right. And I'm, I don't know what oh, I'm that doing. Oh, that same that trail? That exact same trail. Oh, wow. And so when I saw that movie, I'm like, oh, my God, I've done this. And so it, so you connected to that. To that yeah, 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 very much. I think it's based on, on, on people's experience. You'll obviously talk to a lot of people who've seen Selma and particularly with the actors. And it's like. You know, I've I've studied this all my life. I've admired Martin Luther King all my life. When we walked across that bridge, oh, when yeah, we were in yeah. that church, so I think there I think there's something about that. Well, I think when any movie gives you the the chance to make a real emotional connection, and you and I both, I mean, I'm not a critic per se, but I I see like everything. Sure. I I want to see. I've always loved movies. Mm-hmm. I've always gone to see movies, but I've also directed stuff and written stuff. So I tend to have that other eye as well. And I it really takes a lot to completely envelop me in something. I was surprised at how much I stopped paying attention to the convention of boyhood, this gimmick, as right. it were. Uh, you know, a couple of times I would go, oh, they move forward, you know, right. for a moment. Oh, look at the hairstyles, different, that sort of thing. But I was so completely wrapped up in that thing. Well, I was there was this, you know, here's a phrase you hear and a lot of people don't know what it means. There's tremendous continuity in that movie. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. even though, you know, the, as, as a practical matter, they came back every year and Patricia Arquette would tell me, yeah, I'd get this call in April and be like, are you free in three weeks? <laughs> and it was very informal and right. very casual. And somehow they did this every year for a period of 12 years. And that they were able to keep that connectivity with right. those characters in the same tone. Yeah. It's, it's, and, and I mean, it, and when you look, in, in speaking in terms of, because I really have said this a lot on this podcast, I think this past year may have been one of the shittiest year in movies I can of, remember. A lot of people have said that. But the, 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 those two, Boyhood and Birdman, are such just pieces of cinema in completely different ways. I mean, what Inaratu did with Birdman and the way he shot it and, and how it's done um, is so, so artful and so technically savvy and yet still great storytelling. And, you know, he's doing a movie now with big stars, Leonardo DiCaprio, Tom Hardy, and I think there are others, it might be Christian Bale as well, uh, near Calgary. And it's a, a movie about fur trappers, essentially. Oh. And so. And his big convention for this one is we will only use natural light. There's no lighting. <laughs> so you can imagine winter in Calgary. He's yeah. got like four hours oh, a day. Wow, that's going to be so interesting. So it's, it's going to be very interesting. So he, yeah. I think he sets up these interesting challenges for himself. But I do think those two movies we're talking about, head and shoulders above anything else, just in terms of pure cinema, because of of the innovative thinking about how to tell a story. Yeah. So in, in that way, it's one of the most rewarding years in what is honestly one of the crappiest right. years well, I, I, for, do, for do you big think, Hollywood Do you think it's movies. crappy year because of the, the big Hollywood movies are duds? The tentpole stuff, I mean, outside of um, Guardians of the Galaxy, right. which, I, which I liked, I have a lot of affection for, I did not love, and maybe Captain America Winter Soldier and a, and a, a couple of other things, but I can't remember being more disappointed not only in the movies but in the selection of the movies well, and, and, until and, this jam-packed award season time when the quality the movies come the, out yes, but, 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 but the this, important but films. this is the interesting thing and i've said this again and again and and people often you know the whole you know uh, social media thing how many you know i i think they're they're if we were in the offices of marvel right now there's a whiteboard mm-hmm. with 25 titles up yeah and that's a mistake yeah no that well the marvel and dc both right came out uh at the end of last year toward the end of last year with their entire slate for the next, like, like, five or ten years. It's crazy. Yeah. So, 
I think um, that's a mistake. Well, we ask a lot in here about that because we have a bunch of nerds who come in on usually on Thursday or Fridays who have. I I keep asking, is there superhero fatigue yet? That's and I, I, I thought Guardians of the Galaxy might be it. Right. I know that I don't need to see another freaking Wolverine movie again Ever. in my lifetime. Well, you know, he's, he's played the character eight times. Right. And, and I, so and and they're and they're all the thing is they're all good. Right. Yeah, right? Um, t- let's talk about your boyhood, and we'll get <laughs> okay. ba- and we'll get back, back to now. So you sure. grew up in Southern California. Where mm. were you born specifically? I was born at Sharp Hospital in San Diego, where all the Sharp babies come from. <laughs> and uh, like a lot of people during that time, my father was an engineer and worked for all the big defense contractor companies. Oh, really? And so those are the, you know, the ones uh, initially in San Diego. And then he, the, uh, the better opportunities were here in Southern California. So, you know, air, I went... Aerospace? With, aerospace, like place, aerospace, TRW, McDonnell Douglas. Uh-huh. And I went with him to work, and it was like the opening of the Get Smart episode. Cause <laughs> with the doors? The, the doors, all this kind of secret <laughs> stuff. And... Um, you know, and that was always like, and I still couldn't tell you exactly what he did. And yeah. I was like, what do you do? And his big thing was at that time, they were trying to get, you know, and, and there was not really the Cold War, but to a degree, the Cold War, I suppose. They were trying to get submarines to talk to each other so the Russians couldn't hear. And so that was, that was, that was, the, that was the big job. Oh, wow. Um, so where'd you move here in Southern California? When we were five, we moved here to Rancho Park. And so we, again, if you're, if you know Southern California with some, uh, you know, degree of specific locations. Uh, I always ask, you know, do you know the West Side Pavilion? Right near there, or uh, oh. wa- walking distance to the Apple Pan. Sure. <laughs> you, yeah. Which you and I have talked we, about yeah, way too to, many we, times. We need to go there. <laughs> we do. Um, so, what'd your mom do? My mom is a school nurse, and a big thing um, growing up as well is I have two older sisters, and so, and this was, you know, whatever the seventies. So my mom, you know, stopped working to take care of all of us. And but when I was in sixth grade, she was like, "I want to go back to work. I, I'm why would I stay at home?" And so I don't, I don't feel this at all in a uh, you know sense of negligence. But I was like a latchkey kid, which I didn't mind. Right, right. But it was a big, not almost not scandal, but that she was the first mom to go back to work. Oh, really? Even, any of my friends. Even around here. Yeah. Even women's lib era. Right, right. Because I, I, you and I are similar ages, right. and I kind of had the same thing. And I, I I'll kind of make a conjecture here mm. uh, in relation to that uh, my mom decided to do the same thing once we all got old enough to kind of sort of take care of ourselves right. or have somebody take care of us she was ready to get back to work so i would come home after school and be alone and my babysitter i would guess yours was it was the tv to, i was to, watching- a lar- to tv or I, I you know the thing that's so funny now and i have uh four kids but you know this whole idea of play dates and all that stuff right i mean i had friends in the neighborhood friends you know two doors down and we would just play every afternoon yeah. nothing was set up or arranged yeah you'd be yeah and you, my yeah, mom you'd just be outside and my mom would come out and yell come home for you know dinner <laughs> that's right and you know none of that i stuff know i mean if people talk about that as, as some sort of kind of idyllic past right but that's just the way a bunch of us grew right. up i mean and then the other thing which you never see and i i think this is you know i've had good luck in in local tv news but one thing that's terrible and and i know you know if your kids play in the front yard, nobody's going to snatch them from the front yard. That really does not happen. Right. You know, as a statistical fact, it simply doesn't take yeah, place. You, yeah, right from their right. home, right. Yeah. And, um, you know, I biked to school. No, I, don't think, I don't think any of the schools I went to, all in West L.A., even have bike racks anymore. You know, all the things that people uh, did, yeah. nobody does. I, I remember distinctly, because I was in West Texas, we would go play on a giant mound of dirt that was on a <laughs> vacant lot that probably had like broken glass sure. and rebar and all that stuff on it. But you could push your bike to the top and then go down this right. thing at, you know, a thousand miles an hour. Yeah. And then off in the distance, you would hear, you know, Lawrence, come home, right. you know, <laughs> right, right. Um, and that's what you knew it was dinner time because, you know, the sun yeah, was going down right. and you've got scrapes and bruises exactly and stuff. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean. It's, we sound like already yes. just grumpy old right. men here, the, but the uh, AARP, uh, boy, I tell yeah. you, it was so much better <laughs> right. back in the day. I, I don't know that it's necessarily better, but it it is. Um, it's funny because my daughter, who's in middle school, lives in walking distance to our house, mm-hmm. and she's probably the only kid, virtually in that entire school, who walks home. Yeah. So. Well, that's that's the thing. Private schools had a big impact yeah. on stuff like that. Right. You weren't walking to the neighborhood public school, school right. anymore necessarily, depending on your neighborhood. Even even public school kids are 
typically getting bused from weird places, places to right. another. I mean, and also, and you can throw in technology and social sure. media and the and the different ways people can interact with each other and communicate with each other. About the only way we knew what our friends were doing is if you got on your Schwinn or your banana well, seat, you know, Schwinn I, and, I, drew, I, I, and I, ride I have, down there. I tell you what, I, and this has been my social media explanation. I have a friend who I've been friends with since uh, first grade, and we have remained friends, and he is a bit of a pack rack. And all through elementary school, Westwood Elementary or Emerson Junior High, we would pass notes, just you know, little notes in class. And all this stuff is, all Twitter is, is passing notes passing in notes. class. Yep. That's all it is. Yep. And, you know, it, it's to Except a wider audience. everybody gets to read <laughs> right, them. Right. They're but, not secret yeah, anymore. That's the whole thing. So I hope it hasn't diminished passing notes in class, but they will have. <laughs> I would imagine that still exists. Yeah. Um, no, it probably doesn't. They're just sending texts yeah, back and forth. Right. So um, w- at what point did you recognize, were you immediately like a big movie lover, celebrity follower? Did, was any of that part of your consciousness? The, the, one, the one thing I remember... Any showbiz in your family? No. No? <laughs> Everyone is a, uh, everyone's a civilian. And the, <laughs> the one thing that I remember is, and it, it's funny, and you probably had the same experience where you, you grow up and you're like... Boy, that would be fun. And then you meet the guy who does that. Oh, right. So growing up in L.A., the big TV news of that time was, you know, the news on Channel 2 with Jerry Dunphy, who was like, you know, the, the, the white-haired anchorman who kind of owned Los Angeles. And there was a guy on there named David Sheehan who reviewed movies yeah. on TV. And I thought, that's the greatest thing in the world. He goes to the movies for free and he gets to be on TV. That would be the greatest job ever. Yes. And so I just thought of that. And then, you know. <laughs> Flash forward X number of years, and I'm at like a press junket, and I meet him, and he's you know very nice and very gracious, and you know I think any of us who are lucky enough to do this stuff cannot complain. But at one time, in the you know 70s or 80s, local TV news, if you were successful in it, not dissimilar to radio, paid a fortune. Yeah, and that 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 truck has left. <laughs> so when I, when I met David Sheehan, I said, oh, you know, I'm working here at this TV station. He's like, you know, nice to meet you. You just missed it. No. Oh, he already <laughs> yeah. recognized yeah. how things were changing. Right, right, right. Goes, oh, so I thought that was very funny. Like, so, you just missed it. So when did you start to kind of pursue it? You I, went to I, Occidental I, College. I, I know. Yeah, I, I sort of had this lucky circumstance in high school because I always... And, you know, people always are like, what should I do? What's the advice? And, you know, I, I assume these things exist. But I always wrote for my school papers. And I wrote an article in my junior high school paper, like reviewing TV shows. <laughs> and the TV critic for the L.A. Times picked it up and wrote it like, oh. you know, here's what I thought. But here's what, you know, uh, you know, 12 year old Sammy Rubin from Rancho Park thought. And he ran these reviews of mine. And then a friend of mine's mom was a pretty prominent writer for the New York Times. She was an entertainment reporter based out here for the New York Times. And she said, when I got into high school, and I always reference an an umbrella phrase, which nobody knows, which references a a set that you will know. So there's all these women's magazines. They used to call them the Seven Sisters. So that means nothing to anybody, but McCall's or Red Book or Ladies Home Journal, all these magazines your mom got. All the things my mom got. That's exactly right. Better Homes and Gardens, is that in there? I wonder if that's part of it. Anyway, (laughs) way back when. So she basically told me how to do this. And you'd get on the phone. You'd have a 30-minute phone call with Suzanne Plachette. And you'd write it up and send it to McCall's and make a lot of money for very not that much work and i was and she just sort of handed this to me and so i started doing that and i was like this is the greatest thing ever so the 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 first people i ever interviewed was suzanne plachette was one yeah and then this was bob newhart time bob newhart time okay and then bob newhart had a second show and there was an actress named julia duffy yes and i interviewed her <laughs> And then, so, so you started out with nothing but Newhart associates, apparently. New, new, Newhart uh, affiliations, new, Newhart uh, Peter Bonders. Uh, <laughs> and, and I did that kind of sporadically through high school and college. And then in two little sidesteps. And again, it, you know, it proves that public school can be good. The LAUSD still owns a television station. It's Channel 58 in Los Angeles. Which oh. is, and they have a tiny little building on Temple and Bowdery. 
And they've owned this TV station forever. Well, way back when, they did a thing called Student News, where once a week, a bunch of students from all over the city would gather and do this newscast. And we're sitting in the studio. There's a TV monitor above you with a very nice picture of Mario Lopez, by the way. Oh, yeah. And Not airbrush If all. you were to turn on CNBC right now, we're in the middle of the day talking, Bill Griffith, who's like their main financial anchor, he was like two years older than me. He was anchoring oh. Student News. And so I... Oh, please tell me some tape of this still exists somewhere. It must be somewhere. And then the guy that I worked with there is a guy who now is very prominent, a name you may or may not know, named Frank Darabont. Oh, yes. So Frank Darabont, who created The Walking Dead, who made The Shawshank Redemption. Yes. Frank is about a year older than me, but he, you know, was this anchor man. And so, and, uh, and the funny thing was, a little bit of a sidebar, so we did this all during high school, and Frank, um... And I were roommates in the summer between high school and college. And he would just sit at a typewriter and type. And he had a job as an usher. And, you know, five years later, he was in the same apartment typing and had this job as an usher. And I was like, you know, you know, good you're trying. You're still at it. But I don't think he had any real luck until he was in his late 20s or 30. Right. And they, then he wrote a horror movie and then he wrote Shawshank Redemption. Right, right. So if you just keep at it. But there's, there's tape somewhere. Of Frank Darabont, Anchorman. Uh, and, and Sam Rubin. And Sam Rubin, Anchorman. Um, <laughs> and so I did that. And then in, in college, I went to Occidental. And the name drop I always use is uh, Occidental student Barry Obama. <laughs> yes. And, I and was going to ask you. Uh, overlapped. And then this is the, the funny thing at, at Occidental at that time. And the reason I, all my friends from West L.A., almost every single one of them went to Cal. They all went to Berkeley. And so I thought, if all my friends are leaving, by staying in town, it's as if I'm leaving. Because, you know, they're all I'm having this different environment. Right. And I had a job in high school as a gopher at KHJ, which was the big bubblegum radio station. Yes. And I was, I was in the room. 93 KHJ. 93 KHJ. I was in the room when they hired Rick Dees. There we go. And so the, the, something the radio nerds will appreciate, this guy named Chuck Martin, who was the program director, Puts down the phone. He goes, all right, we're getting this guy from Memphis. His name is Rick Dees, and he's coming at $100,000 a year. <laughs> oh, my and people just God. died. I, and that would probably be you know, close to a million dollars a year now. I would think yeah. so. And nobody could believe it. And so Rick came to KHJ, and you know, very nice, very diminutive. He's kind of little. Mm-hmm. And his wife, Julie Dees, and then... Uh, Who's even tinier. tinier. She, she came in his pocket. And they came with all these cart trees. All these, the, the, they're like they're like eight-track tapes that had little sound drops. Right. And so he comes. Which he still uses to this day, I think, by the way. And he still comes on, he comes on KHJ. And I don't think this is in his heart at all, but because he's from Memphis and there's a different mentality, I thought, boy, this stuff is funny. It's unbelievably racist. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, all this sort of, yes, sir, Mr. D's, all this kind of deep yeah. Southern stuff. And so the KHJ thing doesn't even last a year for him. I no, think. and it's funny because that's around the time I got here, and I and I was going to USC mm. and being a radio nerd, right? Um, and also he was, you know, Disco Duck was like his claim to fame right, at right, that right, point. Right, it was right. a number one record in the seventies or whatever, and that's basically what put him on the map on a national way. But he was doing huge numbers in Memphis, right. and that was a big leap to come to L.A., but certainly all us radio nerds had heard him. So then then he went off the air, yeah. and then he came back on on KKDJ, which became KISS. Right. So, But but anyway, so I was working at KHJ, and I liked that job so much I didn't want to leave, you know, uh, to go elsewhere to school. So my father, in addition to being an engineer, taught extension at UCLA. So I like I couldn't go to UCLA because he worked there. You know, U- USC, you know, University of Spoiled Children. I couldn't possibly stop go there. Stop it. Stop it. So I looked in the phone book. I'm like, what other schools are in L.A.? And in the phone book, I found Pepperdine and Woodbury University, which I think is a law school, and Occidental. Right. And I'd never heard of it at all. And to this day, people still, until... Obama, Obama there, really was talked about, yeah. and especially here locally. Occidental, if you had said Occidental to me 10 years ago, I would have said, is that in Ohio exactly. somewhere? Yeah. So it's, it, it, it is this idyllic little school in Eagle Rock. And yeah, a part just of, nestled away right, in there. A part of L.A. that's now kind of hip and happening, right. but certainly wasn't then. And so in any event, the, the, the thing that was funny, you know, in a very small campus, everybody knew everybody. And at that time... 
you know, it's like a, like a silly joke. There were two kids of color, and I knew the other one. Uh, and I and and then I'm not telling tales out of school. The only building I never went in, and the only building apparently Obama never went out of, was the quote unquote stoner dorm. It was this dorm called Chilcot, and I never went in it, and he never came out of it. And I always harbor this, you know, this this vain idea in the back of my mind that if we were to ever meet, because I was, you know, on the student council, I I think had a bit of a profile there that he would say, "Hey, wait a minute, weren't you the guy?" Um, but obviously that probably would never happen. And then I, at at an Oxenone, well, if you ever do get to meet the president, right. you just need to pretend you they, guys we, hung we're, out we together. Just do it. Uh, and then a, a quick two good Occidental reunion stories where there was a story in my class of a guy and you just, you know, first day of school, he comes in in a brand new like Trans Am or something, but he's, he's rich. His family is rich. Right. So when Obama, however many years later runs for Senate in Illinois, he calls this guy and says, Hey, we went to school together. You know, I'm doing this. Can you, and this guy goes, look, Barry, nobody named Barack Hussein Obama is ever going to win anything. <laughs> Click. And then when Obama was running for president, he calls him back and this guy goes, Barry, I was wrong about you <laughs> and apparently gave him a lot of money. And then another guy who was a, a friend at college, you know, because, because I, when the LA times did an article about, you know, Barry Obama's occidental experience. And I knew the professors and I knew the, you know, they, they identified friends. I knew those people. And right. one of those friends said that Obama spoke once at a, a CISPIS, which I believe is, you know, committee in solidarity with the people of El Salvador, oh, wow. a CISPIS meeting. And he walked up to him and he goes, Barry, you're going places. And he was this very captivating speaker even then. <laughs> and so he only stayed at Occidental for two years. Right. Um, Did you, uh, you went through the whole thing? I went thing. through the whole thing. And then I sort of, w- what happened to me is I continued doing this magazine writing. And then I sort of got a job. One thing that's really different now, and when you watch television now and you see on any cable show, all these talking heads, they're beamed in, you know, via satellite from wherever. That as a technical function, is very inexpensive. It basically costs nothing. When I was doing this, satellite time was $1,000 a minute. Right. So I was a professional guest, and I worked for a company called Group W, and they had these talk shows called People Are Talking. It was a, And they had them in San Francisco and Baltimore, and the Baltimore one was hosted by Oprah. And, the, and I would fly around to the various peoples are talking around the country and do Hollywood news. And then there's a show you might remember called PM Magazine. Oh, sure. And I was on PM Magazine. And I did Hollywood stuff from that. And, you know, again, this sounds better than it was. I replaced Maria Shriver when she left. Ooh. And so that all sounds well and good. And then, you know, at some point, I just found myself, like a lot of you, I was not working at all. And they started the morning news at, at KTLA, and this friend of mine and I, a friend of mine who I've known forever, who's now had a very successful career as a financial guy, and he was quite into fitness. So every morning, he'd knock on my door, and we'd work out in the morning, and then we'd go to the career center at UCLA in the afternoon to try to find jobs. And so I saw this morning news had started in June of 91, and I watched it, and I could tell they couldn't fill the time. They just had this two hours to do, and it's like they, 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 the show was very— Now, that were they going up—because you're talking about a time where—I'm trying to remember the, the— It was 1991. The, yeah, it was 91, and there was a period where local morning news was always winning out and doing really well, and then that kind of dissipated, disappeared. Well, this, this actually—a the, the, <laughs> phrase that we use, ours is the most emulated— I mean, local morning news didn't really—this was like one of the very first ones. Yeah, that's what I'm trying one. to kind of get the timing down, so the, so because 90, everybody copied right, it, because so, it worked. So in right? 90, in 91, it started in June, and I watched it, and I was like, they can't fill the time. And then the only thing, you know, and, and I would encourage people listening, there's there's always a way in if you figure out the right way. And, you know, people are like, what's the advice? And, like, the advice is just get in the building. And so I figured, you know, the guy who's having this problem is the guy who produces the 7 to 9 o'clock show. Mm-hmm. And he realizes he doesn't have a show at 3 in the morning. That's when he knows that he's light. So I found out who he was, his name, this guy named Ray Bruni, as it turns out. And I set my alarm and I call him at three in the morning and I'm like, hey, I can help you out. And he's like, you know what? You have no idea how many calls I get at four in the afternoon. The fact that you're smart enough to call me at three in the morning, you know, come in tomorrow. And so I started 
Um, and you must have had some pretty good, you know, tape by this I time. I had some tape. You had some a good reel. Things, yeah. you, you sh- it showed you were talking to celebrities. Right. You weren't some punk kid coming in off the street. Right. I had done, I, you, and you know, that, that's the other thing. People are always And like, they had no, they had no entertainment, entertainment reporter. All. all right. So in I, L.A. In L.A. So I came in and said, you know, I can do this. You know, I can do five minutes, you know, by my, I don't need any help. I can write it myself. I can do the whole thing. <laughs> and so I started... Um, at three, I did it for three days a week as a per diem. And then after two weeks, they said, oh, we'd like to hire you full time. And I just remember all all these numbers. And at that time, the two anchors, Carlos and Barbara, were each making $70,000 a year, which was a lot for 1991 or seemed like a lot. And the weatherman was making $65,000 a year. And they said, well, you should get paid as much as the weatherman. And I said, you know what? I'm, I'm from here. I live here. I can't survive on this wage. But if you pay me $75,000 a year, I will sign a lifetime contract. I will sign forever. And they're like, $75,000? It's outrageous. Absolutely not. And so I did it as a day hire, just a per diem. And then happily, about three months later, they had a huge change at Channel 2, and a news, new news director came in, and the LA Times did this profile on him, and they said, what is your plan? He goes, my plan is to hire Sam Rubin from Channel 5 because he's not under contract. <laughs> <laughs> he and said this in print. He said this in print. Wow. And then, and then it all got a lot better. Yeah. So, so you have been at KTLA doing the morning news. Since um, September of 1991. Right. And you've seen people, you know, go through there. Sure. You have, I mean, the entire staff basically has rotated through to different people. Well, the the weatherman, the original Mark weatherman, Chris Krisky and I, and the main news reporter, Eric Spillman. So okay. the three yeah, of us Eric. have been there from the very beginning. All right. It's so funny because I uh, my my sense, again, is that you had been there forever. Because when I, I, I think I moved back to L.A. in uh, 91, and there you were. And, right. and people were talking about that show. So I have basically seen you ever since then. Mm-hmm. And it just, I just had this sense... You know, when I got back here, that this was a show that existed. So right. I, it just felt like you had been a part of that thing forever. Um, and in that time, you've seen so much change, and and but your job has basically stayed the same. You're talking to famous people, and you're talking about movies and TV, and you're talking about entertainment stories. Right. And I, I think the only thing that that has changed, if anything has changed, is, and maybe you know the you know the social media has something to do with this. I, I think. I, don't, I, I was going to say I think there's a greater interest in it now, and maybe the w- proper word is there's a greater awareness of it now. So, oh, so yeah. in other, so in other interest, words, certainly the interest was all, has always been big right. in in celebrity and, and Hollywood. Yeah. There was never any. I mean, that's I mean, Entertainment Tonight exploded, and then there were all the knockoffs sure. of that. And so you you certainly were kind of in that way. Right. And, and, and but, you have and you have these people now. What's what's really been interesting is you'll have a real actor. So let's say. Back to Oscars, you'll have a J.K. Simmons who's worked forever, mm-hmm. but he can't get on the cover of a magazine. And you'll hear this from big stars now because the Real Housewives are on the cover of a magazine right. or because the Kardashians are on the cover of a magazine. And so you'll talk what, what is what is if you were to document the, the sea change over this time is this rise of what lack of a better word we'll call personalities yes Ver, but but personalities don't necessarily have any specific talent no nor would you want to actually have to interview any right. of them and you've had to interview everybody yeah. yeah i mean t- tell me do you have any idea of a number of people you've interviewed you know the, is there I, any way to calculate I, I, it? I you know the thing you know as everybody has that malcolm gladwell book uh <laughs> Right. Outliers. And so what he said, and you probably feel this way about the, the time you've served on the air, you have to do something for 10,000 hours before you have any level of competence. Right. Before you can consider yourself a professional. professional. Right. So um, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've certainly been on television yeah. far more than 10,000 hours and probably fa- as a practical matter, I've done way more than 10,000 interviews. Oh, yeah. So, um, no, and you know, that's the, I feel I'm looking over this Oscar list. I feel I've met every single person on well, this list several say, times. Is there, can you, uh, top of, top, off the top of your head, is there anybody, let's say in film and television, that you think you haven't talked to? Not really. No, I honestly, I mean, I, you I, really yeah, have, yeah. Yeah. And right? Then, and then what's funny is sometimes these music Even the stars, most obscure or the, <laughs> most, or, or the <laughs> right. most hard to, to and, get to. And what'll be interesting on occasion, and this will make you feel very weird, is and we just had this happen, and I'll I'll think of her name, uh, you know, two hours from now when I'm driving back home. We had a girl on who's like the sexy ingenue on a show now, on like Scandal or something, 
And she was like, you actually interviewed me 15 years ago when I was this Disney star. And I'm like, really? Like, you know, well, you, it's like, well, you've certainly grown up. Uh, so stuff like that. That's tough. So I'm just going to throw out random names okay. that you can tell me. Um, Elizabeth Taylor. I, the thing about Elizabeth Taylor, and I interviewed her at the Robinsons, you know, one of the perfume openings. This, this, this. <laughs> no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Are, is this one of those things, one of those Rain Man things where you can remember? I mean, no, least... no I can't, usually can't, but oh, with really? certain names. Okay. But All right. No, I, I couldn't tell you. I could not say, you know, I, there's a guy, went, one of my college roommates, his wife has one of those photographic memories for dates where right. she can literally say, oh, and yeah. I can't, but she can clearly, but Elizabeth Taylor, I remember very vividly at the Robinsons in Beverly Hills for diamonds or white diamonds. Right. Yes. And the thing about her, which is, a, you know, the rarest of qualities is she truly, truly sparkled. Yeah. There was something about her. And those eyes, right? And the eyes. Yeah, And yeah. so all that stuff was absolutely true. Well, don't you find that there are, you when you get in front of some of these people, um, our friend, uh, mutual friend Mark S. Allen, right. um, said it about Angelina Jolie. It was like, until you kind of get in front of her and go, oh, <laughs> and there she, she really is that, right. like, well, powerfully... They're, 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 well, they're... they're Certain, I, certain, I think there know. is. A, I think using Angelina Jolie as an example, there is a definite heat about her. Yeah. Although the last time I saw her for this um, uh, movie, down, which is so funny, uh, the one about the uh, the unbroken, the unbroken, unbroken. unbroken, I, you know, my initial reaction was, boy, and you, you know, it's a slightly disparaging phrase that you hear this about lollipops. She has this giant head on this <laughs> very, very little, bo- very, very little body. Um, and I've interviewed her over the years, but there were other times where you're literally, you're like, yeah. oh my, she's so hot. I can't believe it. Another one of that ilk. I did a thing once and this, you know, it's, it, you wonder, like you remember it and you wonder if the star remembers it before Charlize Theron was anybody. She wanted to come on off air. She wanted to tape something. So she had tape of herself being on a show so she could get on Conan or something. Oh, interesting. And so we did this interview and it was her we don't normally do this on the news, but she was walking from one part of the set to the other. And so this is all being recorded on tape. And as she walks, I sort of mutter, Jesus, I can't. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> which I would normally not do, but, but you just I, couldn't, help I couldn't yourself. help myself. I couldn't believe it. You mentioned something with the lollipop syndrome. Right. This is something I've also noticed about very high profile and very big stars is that their features that uh, they very often have these big heads and and even if they're tiny, right. they just have these features that are so prominent. There's something about how that translates to camera. There's a very the camera. I, yes, I've had a couple experiences like that. Most recently, Cameron Diaz comes to mind. She has this extraordinarily oval face. Mm-hmm. She has this ovaly face that is very very distinct. And there uh, is a very obscure French movie uh, that came out years ago called The Hairdresser's Husband. Oh right. And the woman who was in it, who's a French actress who I could never name is so beautiful in this movie. And so she's on the show with us on the morning news. And as I'm talking to her, like you and I are talking, she's pleasant looking. And then there's a television monitor next to her. And the same person I'm talking to, the camera shooting her and you see, and on television, she's the most gorgeous person you've ever seen. So it was interesting. how it was amplified. It really is. I, it it occurred to me. um, I got to do the junket for inherent vice and Josh, Josh Brolin. Is got he's got the largest head in the history of the? He'll it, tell you. I, yeah, he no, the biggest he cabe- it. It's the biggest cabeza ever. It is a giant melon of a head. It's the biggest head ever. It's almost a weapon. And you look it's at so him big. on screen, and it's not. It's not that apparent no. for sure. No, it's a sparklets bottle of a head. It's unbelievable. <laughs> It looks like one of those cartoon things when a character gets a bucket and the bucket in the head takes the shape of the yes, bucket when yes, you take it off. Yes, All right. Um, so I'm just going to like, again, just sure, randomly like uh, just you can tell me, yes, you've interviewed them and just any sort of short okay. little snippet of a memory. Uh, Michael Jackson. In Kansas City uh, at the Alameda Hotel before they launched the reunion tour and uh, with him and his brothers and I, they struck me all as weird. Very like just it's like this is a weird, <laughs> weird group family. of people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Robin Williams, many times, many I times, know, I know, many, that. many times. And What's your fondest memory of him? He well, the thing that was interesting about him, and there are other actors like this. He would reflect and amplify the mood that you were in. 
So if you walked in in this great buoyant mood, he'd be greater and even more buoyant. If it was a dramatic movie, he did this great movie called One Hour Photo, which yes. was a dramatic. And if you were like, wow, this was, you know, and then he would come down to right. that. So he would, he, you know, and and what was astounding is just this expectation that he would be on every time. And he always was. And right. the off-camera memory is there's this great Nautica Malibu triathlon every year. And he would come, you know, what Richard Petty is to cars, he is to bikes. He had or Jay Leno is to cars. Oh, that's right. He loved bikes and he would come several years in a row with the most unusual bikes you've ever seen. Oh, unique wow. bikes. Um, oh, I was just thinking of somebody really good. Oh, <laughs> oh, Meryl Streep. I once saw this is, and I've never asked her about this after one Oscar. And I assume it's a time that she lost. There's a restaurant off of Doheny, uh, that is now a whole foods or a Bristol farms. Um, and it has the famous chili, Chasen's. Chasen's, right. And Chasen's was the home of the big after Oscar parties. Mm-hmm. For so, years and for years. For years. So we're doing some, you know, live shot. Was that Swift know. D. Lazar's deal? Was that his? I don't know if he, yeah, I think he might have had the party there. But, yeah. it, but it, you know, the, 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 red, not, the red, you know, leather booths, all that. It was the big, the Vanity Fair party before the Vanity Fair party. And so, and it faces um, that street, Beverly. And I am done with the live shot, and I'm walking to the you know television truck, which is always is parked you know in the recesses of the back. And I go behind the building, and she is to the side of the building alone, sobbing. Yeah, out of just, just sobbing. And I don't know. I, I would assume that year she had lost, but oh. I don't know what it could have been totally unrelated. Oh, wow. And or I've talked got... to her a million times since then, and I've never asked her about that. I mean, oh, I, you have to I just ask I thought her. I inter- sort of walked into a private moment. Yeah, maybe she got a bad oyster. Yeah, or that could be it. <laughs> um, it I, it's very unlikely, and I've met a lot of celebrities sure. and music stars and stuff too. It's very unlikely that you ever get starstruck. But if I were to ask you who, what's the first, first the, the, person it, that comes it, to It's mind? funny because I've interviewed him so many times. He's always been so nice to me i once had a big interview scheduled with tom hanks and this was during a part of tom hanks's popularity was so massive but he's so easygoing yeah such a normal guy but he he was so big at this particular time we had fans outside the gate at ktla and he came into the station in the trunk of a car or like you know sequestered lord and so it was it was not that he isn't the easiest guy in the world to deal with, and he is, and he always delivers. It was right. just that he was so big at that moment. It was just made it difficult, it made it difficult. and so that put like almost all this yeah, pressure that, on that, you. That, that, I felt that. How about uh, biggest old school movie star? Like, well, you know, like I mean, Mickey Rooney. Yeah, and I, I was going to ask about a, Mickey Rooney. I That's did funny. a big thing at Kurt Douglas's house not that long ago, and I, just, I think I see he flashed in my head too. And I think what happens sometimes, and you know, I think this is the the fear we all have is you know you want to be you know, vital and relevant and all that. And, and who are the people, Sean Connery comes to mind, you know, who are the people that are past a certain age that remain vital and relevant? Um, and I think I did this thing with Kurt Douglas, maybe about two years ago. And he, you know, had the, the slight impairment in speaking, but you know, it's like, you know, here's a guy who's absolutely done it all. I mean, it's, yeah, you know, yeah. it is pretty impressive. Worst interview ever. Worst the, the, interviewee. An, the, 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 pers- the, the answer that everybody always gives is Tommy Lee Jones because he does not suffer fools well. Right. And so you've been in these so press So if you ask an inane question, he's you just like, lose him. You lose him. Yeah. And he does not suffer fools well. I like him. I think he's, you know, interesting and intelligent. Um, I always take those as a challenge, and I immediately try and make sure that uh, I'm trying to connect with him in, in some a more way, normal way. way. Right. Exactly. I already right. have. I've never interviewed Tommy Lee uh, Jones. I already have my questions prepared. All right. What do you, what do you really? <laughs> no. Well, I'm going to bring up that we're both Texans. Okay, sure. I actually think we have a mutual friend from someone who knew my mom. Okay. So I'd bring that up. All right. And then it would just depend on the situation in the movie or whatever. But I wouldn't ask him, do you really know how to ride a horse? You know, or something <laughs> right. like. Well, the, what, the one thing I think we're in this era of now is this greater transparency so one you know here's another thing that's a big change since i've been doing this it used to be they would do a lot of press for a movie that they thought was really good or that was really big now they do a ton of press for every movie right and so you have a lot of stars doing press for movies that they know are bad movies and you usually can tell and you can tell and so you know i i, I <laughs> so always they're try just going through the motions, right and the i always try to do the, I, right and i try to do them the favor of avoiding it's like and i remember uh you know senator al franken uh the Stuart smiley movie which was terrible yeah and uh, Laura San Giancoma, as I walked in, whispered to me, let's talk about anything but this movie. <laughs> so. 
But you didn't answer the question. Right. Worst interview? I don't really feel I've had... I, I mean, I think there's a couple or times... Or most difficult, maybe, just to crack? I, I think sometimes you just don't connect. And I've had difficult interviews with Madonna, and I think that... Well, I think, well, she's difficult. It's not me. But but maybe I asked a stupid question, or I just didn't... Where where you're, you're sitting there, and you're just not connecting. Yeah. And you're going to have those off days. Right. There's no way you can be sparkling and wonderful right. all the time. You, <laughs> you do have the advantage of having been in one place in this market, in the center of the entertainment capital of the world, so people do know. I mean, do you feel no, like I think you- that No, I think that helps a lot. I, I think that you find that people have a comfort and familiarity, and that you've either talked to them before, or maybe they have seen you. What I love about you, Sam, is that I never hear you use this phrase, because you have literally, and we've established this, talked <laughs> and met talked to and met every major celebrity and you have I've never heard you say oh so and so uh, such a dear dear friend no, if, they, and if good, I ever hear you right. use that phrase I the, will hunt you the, down and strangle as you as well you should my favorite story of that ilk is uh, Pat O'Brien <laughs> I knew it was going to be Pat O'Brien <laughs> yes yes go ahead <laughs> uh, all the you know a lot of these crew guys you know work on a variety of shows right. and so apparently Pat O'Brien is interviewing Paul McCartney and so if you do certain interviews, there's about three to five minutes of technical setup. You're both physically in the chair, but they're adjusting the cameras, they're putting on the microphones. And so that's kind of the off-camera conversation. And so often I'll be like, oh, do you live in L.A. or where are you from? You know, just sort of just chit-chat. And apparently he meets uh, Sir Paul and sits down. And he's like, Sir Paul, I need to tell you about my band. And... <laughs> I just thought that was it. No. I thought that was it. Yeah, Pat is extraordinary at being able to name drop multiple times within one sentence. But I have to, this is interesting. I actually read Pat's book, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, quite a big confessional. And I'm not a, a big drinker, and I never have been. But he referenced a particular wine that I guess is some pricey, expensive wine that was his his wine of choice and that that caused him uh, inordinate problems but he's like it's an excellent i believe it's called silver oak and i was at a pretty fancy party not long ago and i was like wow this wine is excellent and i said to the waitress this wine's really good she's like it's silver oak (laughs) so i thought well maybe maybe he knows something i didn't know i am hoping they will become a sponsor at some point sure um and what about um I mean, you unfortunately, you are now in an era where any awkward moments become viral. You just sure. had one last year. It's, oh, sure. it's on your freaking Wikipedia page. Right, right, it's right. like the only thing on your Wikipedia page right now under your bio. Oh, gosh. I'll have to get – please somebody update my Wikipedia yes, page. Yes, no kidding, because you've had way many more embarrassing <laughs> moments than that. But the Samuel L. Jackson thing, which you got a lot of crap over, it I, lasted and, for a good 24 hours. You, you know, keep, huge 24 hours. And the one thing that I guess is helpful with that is they you know, referenced L.A. Reporter. Or a reporter, they never mentioned my name, um, and the and the story with that, which is you know my error and my confusion, and the, and the thing that I wish had transpired is after this tape that is widely seen. I went on the air about ten minutes later, you know, explained what happened and very much apologized for it because I felt horrible right, about right. it. And, but but basically, in a nutshell. And then now we're splitting semantics because Lawrence Fishburne was in a commercial, but he was also Samuel Jackson was in a Captain America commercial, but right. very briefly. Right. And so I said, you know, something about the Super Bowl. And he goes, wait a minute. You know, do you think I'm that guy or whatever? And and that really threw me. And I didn't have the wherewithal to say, no, no, not the Kia commercial. The Captain America commercial right, that you right, were in, right? And then he just got got, got and going. he never let you. And he never yeah. let go. And yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I could see I've never seen you quite that uncomfortable because. <laughs> and anybody who knows you know that's 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 not you. You're right. not you're not mistaking one black actor right. for another black actor just because they're black, black actors. Right, right, right. I, you do your research. You yeah. are very well aware. You watch all these things. things. You're no, not, no. So you're not yeah, relying that, on some intern's was, information. Right. No, no. But that was. Um, you know, you get caught is that, with your pat- Is that one of the worst? That's I mean- probably, I mean, you know, here's the thing is that it, it, it cuts it cuts 20 different ways. You know, in the, I, I, w- I would like to be known for several other things. But, um, <laughs> but you know, is, are we now in the era of doesn't matter what you say about me, spell my name right. So, right, it, right. so is, it, is it all so terrible? Um, and then what was interesting is that had about a three-day cycle. And the only thing I missed is I thought, and this often is what happens, the, a weird lag with the internet. We'll have something funny or interesting or terrible happen on the show on Monday. 
And then it blows up on the internet like on Wednesday. Right, two days later. And so I thought, you know what, two days later there's going to be a big thing. That was a big thing like two hours later. Right. So Yeah, it did. It got, yeah. it got, yeah. it got very big. <laughs> and I got to talk to you the next morning. Right, there. Uh, that was exciting. <laughs> um, what are you've won awards you've been you know recognized for the work you've done sometimes i mean you do really good work and what i i don't mean to blow smoke no, but sure. th- there are so many entertainment reporters that i can't stand watching i see so many people ask questions i can't stand hearing well i i think a lot of you know it, it, it's funny and i wish i could think of sort of a corporate equivalent but the the job is often filled by the station manager's girlfriend or, you know, that kind of thing. So well, there's just no training ground anymore for being intelligent or, being, or, or no, doing, wait, doing but, your research. But, but, you know, but here's the thing. And I, I say people always ask, you know, and I always think it's a mistake. It's like, don't major in broadcasting, you know, do broadcasting and yeah. major in something because Cause you didn't. Right. I didn't. No, I, I, I believe, yeah. again, according to your uh, bio, I'm going to say American Studies American and Studies, Rhetoric. which American Studies and Rhetoric, because I uh, was an econ major at Occidental and then received a test back that simply said, please come see me. <laughs> so I thought that was I thought the other thing would be better. Yeah. But in education right. in something other than that field and, and it's uh, I would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't go to school for radio. I did go to school for movies. Right. But um, to get a well-rounded education in just, you know, stuff, in yes. anything, in learning right. something, and in I, reading. And I think is, is, is a, a zillion times more valuable. And the thing that I think has served me well, and I say this to people all the time, is, and increasingly so, audiences are super-duper savvy. And they know if you know. And they know if you don't know. Mm-hmm. And when you're talking to stars, they know if you know. Right. And they know if you don't know. And so, um, you know, there was the the red carpet blooper at the SAG Awards recently with um, Rashida Jones, who is Quincy Jones's daughter, right. Peggy Lipton. Uh, this and the reporter, is this is hilarious. The no. reporter was like, "Your tan is beautiful. You're so like, tan." <laughs> and her response immediately was, "Well, I'm ethnic." Right. So, and, and the gal who did that, who I actually know and I'm friendly with, is a very beautiful model. Right. She's a model, but she doesn't do this. Right. Right. Yeah, so, they have a lot of those out there. Yeah. Well, see, that's the thing. I, I do you. Have you gotten satisfaction out of this? Is this what they, you no, wanted to do? Yeah, no, you know, I, 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 it, yes. I mean, the, 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 the thing you is. You are doing the thing you love. I'm doing the thing I've always wanted to do. It is, it is not heavy lifting. I enjoy doing it. You know, there are people who have, you know, drudgery with their work or difficulty with their work. Um, it's, it is, re- it's enormously rewarding and, you know, it, it, it enables you to have a you know, super nice lifestyle and all those kinds of things. So I'm, I'm. Even though the truck left a while ago? Right. The, the, the truck. No, because cause what you have to do now, and I'm sure you're in this. He, this is something which I think is, I, I will say, is a phenomenon of the last five years, is everybody I know, anybody I know, is has their day job. Right. And is entrepreneurial about everything yep, else. Yeah, they're doing like three, four things. things. So, so <laughs> right. you know, my day job is my day job. I do entertainment reports for the number one uh, morning show in Australia now. I... Um, <laughs> And all the red carpet shows that you see me do, my my own production company produces those shows. So that and and that's that's an interesting, not fork in the road because it's the same kind of thing. But what I, what I've had great luck in doing is taking you know companies and brands and bringing them into events. In fact, I'll go back to the Critics Choice Awards for a minute. One of our sponsors for a long time has been Yogurtland, and people are like, "Oh, that's kind of light and silly." And it's like, no, people actually really like Yogurtland. Yeah. And yeah. so the New York, excuse me, the you Wall- don't, you're not going to see anybody protesting Yogurtland. So the Wall Street Journal reviewed this year's Critics' Choice Awards, and they're like, five most important things of the Critics' Choice Awards. Number three, Yogurtland and a Yogurtland store at the event. This is the greatest thing we've seen. In a, this I'm going to quote this. This is the greatest thing we've seen in an award show. Ever. And I, I really felt an enormous sense of satisfaction because people are like, nobody wants that. I'm like, everybody wants that. No, I saw more people tweet. I saw celebrities tweet about yes, that. No, yes. That was that. That's been Good a big call. thing. No, but I, you know, it, it's terrific. I think the one thing that I'm keenly aware of and you talk to stars sometimes, Rob Lowe just comes to mind, you know, and he's written this memoir and, and, and they're sort of almost more proud of the books than they are of anything else because in this impermanent situation that we're all in and, you know, these these tweets come out and they're forgotten two seconds later. Right. You know, still a book seems to, to resonate and matter. So I, I think um, I really enjoy doing this. I think there are other things that, like, I 
I could do or I would like to do, but but I I have, st- I have stuck with this for a while. And how long do you see yourself? Well, yeah, I, I mean, it's not up to you necessarily. Well, but, yeah, but, you know, but you I, could you could I, control that. I th- I think so. Yeah, I mean, I I um. As long as, I, I think, as, long I, as you're having fun, is I that the thing? You, I think you have to know when to leave, and yeah. I and I I think you have to know when to leave, and I don't think I'll be a good judge of that. So I've said to my wife, and I've said to a few close friends, "Tell me, yeah, when it's uh, because I don't when want it's that Bill Hader character on SNL, <laughs> right. the, the old newscaster yeah, right. who, who doesn't know how to ask questions, just, anymore. yeah, like so. So tell me when it's uh, <laughs> you know when it, because I think what happens. Is and one thing that I think has contributed to to sort of all this good fortune is there is a different mindset in the morning, and so I think people have sort of a an empathy and kind of a warm and squishy feeling in the morning that they don't have through the rest of the day. So the thing that you know, quick radio aside, um, John and Ken, who are extraordinarily successful local personalities here in the afternoons in Los Angeles and have been for a long time, you know, are angry in the afternoons. Years ago, they tried them in the morning. Right. It was the most colossal failure ever. Yeah. They moved no, them back right, right away. They, like, they couldn't, you, you could hear the screeching of the tires. <laughs> yes. So it was, you know, uh, so I, I think that helps too. So, yeah. I, you know, I don't know. But he, I, I guess I, it's weird because these are things that are going to sound, you know, too. I really like doing this. If I could do it four days a week, I might like it more than doing it five days. You know, that kind of thing. You know, <laughs> sure, sure. Fun to, fun to sleep in a little. Um, well, I like what you do. Um, I hope you keep doing it for a while. Thank you. And um, because I just don't, you know, you're a rare breed, and I, and and you're also somebody that I feel like people can relate to. But you still give great information, and I, I'm I'm not going to sit here and be the Sam Rubin fan club. Well, but uh, there are a lot of people who can't do what you do. It seems like it's fluffy, or it seems like it's light, but it's not. It's uh, you're good at what you do. Thank you very much. No, I, I enjoy doing it. I, I, it's it's. Uh... <laughs> I always say it's like being among the best gym teachers. Uh, no, but I like doing it. <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, my dear, dear friend, Sam Rubin. Oh, thanks. Um, see you on the red carpet. Yes, Sam. absolutely. Yeah, thanks. Get a monkey. Get a monkey. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 